Father, we thank you for your word and how it is meant to bless us and to guide us and to give us wisdom. We pray, Lord, that we would not shun it, but we would heed it and that we would make it our very lives, that we would love your law and we'd look into it and we'd meditate. And Father, give us the strength. We know that you can to be obedient and help us to deny ourselves and live for you. And as we go through this word this morning, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to be going through uh, Luke chapter 2. You don't have to pull out a Bible, but Daryl, if you want to put up Luke chapter 2 there, that would be great. Now, this is, of course, the eve of the birth of Christ, Christmas Eve, the day before Christ is born, and tomorrow will be Christmas Day. Now, there's some traditions that are throughout the world that probably not every one of us know. Little things, little tidbits, and there are many of them that I could name. But you know, the Germans made the first artificial Christmas tree out of dyed goose feathers. And each year, more than 3 billion Christmas cards are sent in the U.S. alone. And all the gifts of the 12 days of Christmas, you know that song, the 12 days of Christmas? There would be a total of 364 gifts if you were to give them individually. Christmas trees have been sold in the U.S. since 1850. Christmas trees usually grow for about 15 years before they are sold. And though Santa Claus has worn blue and white and green in the past, his traditional red suit came from a 1930s ad by Coca-Cola. Meanwhile, White Christmas is the best-selling song of all time. 100 million copies have been sold. And can you guess what is the greatest or the... um, The Christmas movie that is uh, of all time, it's the greatest movie that has been seen by more people. Do you know what that is? How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. That's the one. Everybody watch. I think we watch it two or three times in our household before it rolls around, Christmas rolls around. But in Luke chapter 2... It talks about the real day of Christmas, the birth of Christ. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it reads, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So this is an historical event. This isn't a fable. This isn't an epic. It isn't something that has been pieced together. They actually give times and dates according to these people who existed caesar augustus of course he was the nephew of julius caesar and he was considered the first emperor of rome he's the one that took out two other people mark anthony was one of them he took him out and he became the first emperor uh, that ruled over the entire roman empire and so uh, matter of fact the year that he was confirmed as being the heir to julius caesar julius caesar died that year You wonder if there's any connection with that. But this was the world in the Mediterranean basin. It had just suffered through many wars. The times were very bad. The soldiers who were no longer in the army, some of them became thieves. It was unsafe to walk down most of the towns in the Mediterranean area at night or even travel. There was always robbers along the road that would either just take from you or even murderers who would kill you. And the census was set up to effectively and efficiently 
tax everyone. That's why everyone had to go to their town of origination or their town of their family. And that's why Joseph was heading back to Bethlehem at this particular time. And this is after a little bit of lull in the wars that had been just going on for decades. And a lot of wealth was lost by the people at that time. The morale of the people was down. It was a very difficult lifestyle. There was uncertainty going on. And Joseph was traveling with this young pregnant woman. I saw a movie recently about the young Jesus. And it was thought by this movie, the people who made it, that Mary was 14 when she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and she became pregnant. If anybody came, became pregnant today at age 14, we would probably shriek in horror saying, what have you done? But this is what the Lord decided to do. And so from there, we have this carpenter named Joseph. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The things that we know about Joseph, he was a carpenter. He was pledged to be married. Uh, married to Mary or Miriam as her name is known to the Jews. He was a just man. He belonged to the city of Nazareth. He was of Davidic descent. That means he came from the line of King David, as did his wife. He was the son of Heli or the son of Jacob, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. He was the husband of Mary. He was the adoptive father of Jesus. And he and Mary were responsible for actually naming Jesus because an angel told both of them his name is to be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins or God's people from their sins. And the family that he had, being a carpenter, he had, including Jesus, five sons and at least two daughters. They are mentioned in Scripture, this family of his so he may have had three or four or five daughters and that's a lot of mouths to feed how many carpenters do you know that can feed their families wonderfully with a bounty out there it's not one of those jobs that you have that you're going to make a tremendous amount of money at and become rich unless you know you're a huge businessman and that's the kind of environment jesus grew up in all these brothers and sisters running around of course he was the oldest and the mary would probably turn to the younger brothers and say why can't you be like your brother jesus you know <laughs> something like that but an example of this is written in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. This talks about Joseph, the son of David. He was told not to be afraid, the naming of Jesus. He was told not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife because he was kind of uncertain. He hadn't laid with Mary, and yet she was pregnant. And if a woman, if you were a young guy and a woman came up to you and said, guess what? I'm pregnant. What would you think if you haven't slept with her? She would be like, that's it. We're done. And he was a righteous man, and he wanted to put her away quietly, did not want to subject her to public disgrace. And so he set about doing so. But, of course, God intervened in that and let him know it was going to be okay. In verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So you had these countrymen which were out there. And by the way, being a shepherd was the lowliest of positions. Now, it didn't used to be that way in Israel, especially when the patriarchs were born and they all went down to Egypt with Joseph. We know that the shepherds were detestable to the Egyptians, and so they were able to settle in the land of Goshen. But those shepherds were considered honorable. All the 12 sons of uh, the patriarchs that were there, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob had Joseph and the rest of them, Judah and Issachar and the, the rest of the sons. All of those guys were shepherds, but the Egyptians were farmers. And the farmers didn't like the shepherds because that meant cattle or sheep would come and eat what they were growing. So there was always this tension that was going on between the two of them. And it turned around over the years to where the shepherds were like the lowliest of the low. They were not appreciated in the land of Israel, and they were considered no better than a tax collector. And so they were to be avoided. They were shunned in every way. And yet God decided to show up to those shepherds. He didn't go to the chief priests. He didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't go to the Sadducees. He said, I'm going to these shepherds, these guys who are out here in the fields. And an angel showed up and declared to them that a Savior was born. Now, there's three names given to this individual who's supposed to be born, which is Jesus Christ. The name Savior, Christ, and Lord. And that's what I'm going to focus on here. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Now, Savior is one who would deliver another person or group of people from hardship, harassment, toil, enslavement, persecution, and condemnation. The nation of Israel was expecting somebody to raise up and throw off the yoke of the Romans. And that's not obviously what took place, but that's what a Savior would do. He did much more than that. He was the Christ, the Messiah, and that means anointed one. God anointed him. He is a priest. He is the representative of God, and he is a representative of the people to God. God to the people and the people to God. Then he's also called Lord, which is Kyrios. Kyrios is the one who is in charge. He is the one that rules everything. He is the one that saves. He is the one that condemns. And he is the one that sets everything right. So he holds these three positions according to Luke here, chapter 2. Now, they had a lot of enemies. He was the Savior, certainly, in the human realm. The Egyptians were against them, the Amalekites, Edomites, the Amorites, the king of Bashan, the Canaanites, the Syrians, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Midianites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. And that's not all. And so the Jews had a lot of opposition. And so you look at this and you say, well, he's Savior, he's Christ or Messiah, and he's Lord. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? And we're supposed to look at Scripture and we're supposed to glean from it how that relates to us. First of all, if he's Savior, he's going to deliver us. If we are uh, oppressed in any way throughout the world, and believe me, I It is my belief that we have it so good here in this country. Even though we might complain about this or that or taxes or medical insurance and the way things are going and the decline of morality in our country, we still have tremendous freedom here. But the rest of the world, it is not so. We are unique. We are special in that way. That God has set us up with certain freedoms and they have been guaranteed, of course, in our Constitution. We all know that. But then also, he is Messiah. He is Christ. He is the one that intercedes for us to God. Why does he have to intercede for us? 
what's the deal with that? And what's he going to save us from as far as having to intercede with God? We know that God sets up the kingdoms of the world, right? But we look at that and he is Lord. Okay, so is he our Lord? Well, some people would say, yes, definitely. I remember once counseling an individual about 15, 20 years ago. They came to the church and they were living together. And I was counseling them. I said, look, we want to work on this. We want to get you guys married. We want to turn this around because obviously the Lord says we're not supposed to do this, right? And it is a sin. He tells us not to. And he tells us to correct it. And those who are spiritual are supposed to restore those who are fallen in or caught in a sin. And so I counseled him. I said, let's work on this. Let's get married. You know, people are going to start asking you. There's going to be problems in the church. And we need to make sure we make this right. And I said, do you love God? And he goes, oh, I love my Lord. I said, well, will you get married? Well, no. And I thought to myself, well... He's really not his Lord. He's really not willing to give everything to God through obedience. And so God wants us to be obedient, certainly, to him. Why does he want that? He doesn't want that just to enslave us. He wants to set us free. Well, set us free from what? Most of the world would say, I'm not in chains. No one's holding me down. I am free. I can do whatever I want. No, the world is only free to sin. The world is not free not to sin. Those who belong to Christ are free not to sin. He takes the chains and he breaks them away. And everyone that is sold to sin will eventually be judged. See, this is what the good news is. That Christ was born to take away that judgment. Unless we turn to Christ and we say, will you forgive me of my sins? We will, when we die, be thrown into judgment. First into the grave, or Sheol, and then to be raised, and then we will be cast into Gehenna, the lake of fire. But that's the good news. We don't have to. And how do we do that? I think most all of you know how. You simply confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you do that, and you do it sincerely, he hears you, and he forgives you. There's nothing we can do to mitigate our sin, to take it away. Only God can do that. And that's why this is good news. That Jesus was born, that he came to this earth. Sorrow would follow but he was born to save us. And so the gift of life is available to everyone. And my prayer for you is that you're able to do that sincerely, that you're able to just sell out, that you're able to be radically devoted to him, where people turn and they say, wow, you really have the gift of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. We need to teach this to our children. We need to talk about it to those that we come in contact with. We need to meditate on his word when we wake up and we go to sleep and we need to ask him and seek his counsel on every decision that we make. If you do this, you will truly be blessed this Christmas. What we are going to do at this time is we're going to be receiving communion if the uh, ladies would like to come up. We're going to sing uh, one song. I think it's Away in the Manger first. And as this is being passed out, we'd like you to hold on to it until we can pray and receive it together. And then after that, we're going to light your candles. Uh, Everyone has a candle, correct? And we're going to sing a song and uh, just honor the birth of Jesus Christ. So if you guys would like to come forward and grab this and pass it out, that would be great.